to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Bullock. Welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to resilience, business continuity, testing, COVID, crisis management, anything that can help you, your organization, or your community prepare for, respond to, and overcome adverse situations. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, please feel free. You can find me on LinkedIn. I am the only Alex Fullick there. I'm really easy to find, and I do respond to everything I get. Long-time listeners, you know I love to read. I read everything. Books, articles, postings, anything that uh, comes through my way. And a while ago, there was an article by today's guest that captured my attention. And I thought, hey, this is a good, interesting topic. Let's talk about this one. And it had to do with testing and exercising and objectives. And I'd like to welcome to the show the author of that, a long-time business continuity expert and professional that many of us know, Charlie McLean Bristol. Charlie, welcome to the show. Thanks, thanks very much for inviting me, Alex. And I think I am the only Charlie McLean Bristol in the world. So we, we share a certain amount of uniqueness there. <laughs> I, I, I can also say thanks very much for having on the show. Um, I did notice in looking through your episodes, you had all the great and the good of um, business continuity and crisis management worldwide. So we could, at the end, you could, the listeners can make a decide whether I'm one of the great and the good, or just another person on the on the on your on your on your um on your session. So anyway, yes, happy to be here. Well, let's get that started then. Uh, I now I know you and I have uh, uh, sent emails back and forth and chatted a little bit, and I know a little bit about you. But just in case people around the world, to your point, aren't quite sure who Charlie McLean Bristol is. Can you take a minute or two and tell us about yourself, what you do, and how you got into this crazy industry? All right. Yeah. So, um, it was not the early years. So, always in my life, I was always going to the army. I'm like fifth generation army, and I think I'm fourth generation. Actually, no, my, my soldiering heritage, my dad does um, genealogy, and that goes back to, to, to the sort of beginning of time. But I'm fourth generation, my regiment. So, I was always going to the army, so went to went into went to university, went to, to the army, and then decided to get out before you get out before you're thirty or stay until you're fifty-five. So um, <clears throat> decided to get out before I was thirty, and I was looking around for an interesting job, and I kind of couldn't find any interesting jobs at all. And I came across this thing called emergency planning, which was, so this was 1995. And emergency planning looked really interesting. It looked like just the sort of thing that I might be interested in. And I saw this advert in um, the Times, so the, the Times newspaper, and it said, emergency planner required for angling water, 10 years experience, chemical stroke engineering degree. And I had spent a couple of days working for a local authority. So I had two days experience and a degree in history and international relations. And I applied for this job. And um, 
and um being young and enthusiastic they gave they gave me the job and it was emergency planning was just beginning then and my predecessor had been planning for post-nuclear war so there was a role within the water industry whose job it was to plan for 10 liters of water per head per day for 10 percent of the population who could be left over post-nuclear war and so he was an old retired air commodore or something, did that for three years of his life. And then we'd done the change from um, deciding that maybe there wasn't going to be a nuclear war and we were all going to die, or 90% of them were all going to die, that actually was much more useful for the water companies to plan for what happens if we have no water, what happens if we have contaminated water, what happens if we have sewage flooding, because that was probably a much more useful thing to do. <clears throat> So I spent um, sort of eight happy years doing that. Absolutely loved it, and then I kind of felt a little bit I had the best job in the in the in the country for emergency planning, and so I moved over to business continuity because I thought that was that that seemed to be better paid than um, emergency planning. <laughs> so I moved over to business continuity, and ended up doing business continuity for Scottish Power Power Company for three years. Joined a joined a consultancy because. Um, um i got him i got employed to um reply to an audit they'd had an audit and they basically got a c in the audit and the organization got another c the the managing director of my division was going to be sacked so they employed me to get to get up to the to get to the standard so for two two years i got them up to the standard once they got the standard, they were no longer interested in business continuity at all. Anytime I want to do anything, I said, Charlie, just don't bother us. And, you know, you know, go in, do whatever you do. So I was desperately bored. So I joined a consultancy, um, joined another consultancy, and then that consultancy made me redundant. And, you know, last refuge of a scoundrel. If all else fails, you have to work for yourself because that, that, that's when all the jobs run out. You have to work for yourself. So I worked for myself, and um, I started on the kitchen table. So I formed a company called Plan B Consulting, and we've been going for about 17 years, and we do business continuity consulting, crisis management, cyber incident management. So I've been doing that for 17 years. I also formed with my brother a company called Business Continuity Training, which is a very original name. It does what it does. And we run a training company doing Business Continuity Institute franchise trainings as well. So he does most of the work and does most of the training. Uh, or he does, he, he does the back office work. I do some of the training along with other tutors. So that is my sort of career to date. Plan B, operate mainly in the UK, a little bit in the States, a little bit worldwide. And um yeah, so we're twelve uh, twelve people strong. So that is that is very short potted history. And here you date. are now yeah. to talk about testing and exercising. Yeah. Well as I said, it was the article that uh was on uh that was distributed by uh, another uh business continuity related uh, group that uh, caught my attention. And it had to do with testing and exercising and objectives. But there were some things that you addressed in the article that uh, were also beyond just objectives. So I kind of want to touch on some of these. And what, the first thing I want to ask you is, why do we need to test and exercise in the first place? Yeah, I, I think, you know, if you go back to the good practice guidelines, 
sentence, one of the things it says is, you know, no plan is um, can be ready to go before it's validated. So I think that is the first one. It's interesting that, um, you know, talk about testing and exercising. I don't know if this is um, we um, two nations divided by a common language, the United States and here. I think you use the use terminology more testing, perhaps in the United States that, than we do. We're sort of very sort of clear is maybe use it the same way is, you know, normal exercising is exercising. Testing is more it parcel you know can you restore system x to his rto within 12 hours well you can you can't this parcel mm-hmm. fail on that one whereas our one is more more of the exercising but i think it is that the, the whole point is to say there's you know you need to be able to respond and you need to be able to respond to, to to the incident, and you need to be able to do that sort of continual improvement of the plans. And there's so often, I was doing exercising yesterday, I was doing a cyber exercise yesterday, but so often the people say, oh, I never thought of that, never thought of that, I never thought of that. And I think one of the things, just coming on that whole realm, that COVID has tested us was that, there were lots and lots of organisation never had any business continuity. weren't uh, you know weren't prepared for. COVID. I don't think anyone was probably prepared for COVID, but they didn't have business continuity like many organisations we've probably worked with and your 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 listeners have probably worked with. But they made it up as they went along, and most people did a pretty good job of it. You know, and they'll have some problems with comms and but. <clears throat> But I think there's two things from COVID that we need to take away as relevant to exercise. First of all, in COVID, everyone was in the same boat and nobody was prepared for it. So, you know, you couldn't do too badly because the fact was that nobody was doing really well. So there wasn't that differentiation. There also wasn't do with a lot of business continuity institutes, it's that organization having cyber incident, that incident having an IT outage, them having a major reputational issue. Not everyone else is doing it. So I think that's a different COVID. I think the also different planning the 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 testing and exercising is that um anybody can recover with enough time and you can make it up as you go along. But if you ha if you don't hit that with a standing start, you start behind the curve, you're always being reactive, and it's very difficult to catch up. And if you and you set the tone at the beginning of the incident, if it looks to your staff and your customers and your interested parties, that company's a real chaos. They don't really clue what they're doing. They put up contradictory statements. They wouldn't tell any staff. They didn't do that. It's very difficult to get back in front of the curve. If you tra- test and practice your exercises, then you know it might not be a hundred percent, but at least you say, "Yeah, we're doing that. We're doing that. We're doing this. We've got this. We've got this out there. We're, we're informing the staff. We're doing a response." Oh, these guys know what they're doing. You know, you have confidence, and it might not be all a hundred percent right, but at least you start with the beginning well, and then hopefully you continue that on. So, to me, it's that almost like that. That initial bit is really getting that well and making sure that you you you, you hit the ground running and don't be um, reactive. You're proactive. I like what you said there about confidence. It's you're you're creating confidence from external sources, saying, "Hey, those guys have got their act together, or they're they're doing quite well." But it also builds confidence within your organization. 
because I get to practice. I'm not being thrown to the fire. I've been led along and I've got to contribute to it. So I feel better about doing this when something happens. Yeah. No, and I, I think that's also within, you know, when your key, absolutely key stakeholders is going to be your staff. And actually, if the staff think you're incompetent, then yeah. it is, they won't do the extra hours. They won't put themselves out and say, what's the point, you know? So I think it is with that sort of initial with the staff is important too. Now, with testing uh, and in your article, you talked about objectives. Why are objectives important and how do we go about even establishing them yeah i think one of the things i think with exercises is and this is this is a slightly typical maybe a generalization you get asked in as a consultant or as an internal person do an exercise and someone says we've got to do an exercise so yeah we all really know we pretty much agree we need to do an exercise right what scenario are we going to do? And we're going to come up with the most dastardly scenario that catches them out <laughs> or the person who's um, sort of sponsoring the exercise. So we, we think we ought to do that. And you come up with some dastardly scenario, which is going to catch them out, which they haven't thought about. And um, and so you, you try and put that out to try and be clever and catch out the organization. And hopefully, that oh, that's a very good bit. We never thought of that. But also, I think there is sometimes a problem with exercising it, that it's, I don't know if you, your readers are feeling with the idea of sort of escape rooms, where you're put in a room and you're given a, a sort of problem and you have to solve a whole lot of clues oh, yes, in the yes. rooms and get out of the room. Is it, you call them escape rooms, do you? Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's escape rooms like that. And it's almost like exercises are almost entertainment. They're almost Disney-esque in terms of, you know, you're given a problem and you're thrown into this scenario and you've got to sort of solve your way out of the problem. And it's, you know, sometimes I almost think people think of exercises as entertainment. And the senior executives, because it's a bit of fun from their normal day life, they all will look forward to the exercise because it's really fun and they'll choose some dastardly things that we've got to deal with it. <laughs> and I think, unfortunately... <laughs> exercises don't have to be that exciting and i think we we too often do it as entertainment and too little is getting the value out of it and i think often you know people like all singing what we call simic simulated exercises whether you've got phone calls in you've got social media and media and interviews and things and people love that kind of stuff but often the lessons that can be learned from that are not lessons that are actually that useful. And if you make a whole load of mistakes in that, you never learn the lessons because you you kind of you, you're not in it long enough. And also, certain scenarios or certain elements of your response require something that works over a long time. Because the more senior you get the actual initial response is not going to be done by then that's going to be done with the people you know it could be on the site it could be in the country and actually the crisis comes in day three and day four when it goes badly not in the first three hours of an incident and often people play that first three hours of the incident because mm -hmm. that's the exciting bit and if you're doing a simulated exercise with all singing all dancing phone calls in it has to be in real time so I think that there are, for, for me, there are sort of 
four things you want to think about when you're doing your exercise and what you're trying to do your objectives. Your objectives, like all good objectives, is busy defining what you're trying to achieve. And once you have that discussion with your client or your sponsor and the organization you do it from, then you can start trying to understand what are we trying to achieve. And out of that then comes the scenario and also the format of the exercise. Like how are we going to do it? Are we actually going to sit around and discuss it? Are we going to do that discussion over a number of time frames? That can be a lot more um useful and informative and a learning experience than doing the running around bit. There is a place for running the round bit, and I love running around Simics's, but so the first one is about the scenario. Are you trying to understand the scenario and is the scenario important? Like flavor of the month is um ransomware and cyber exercises. When we did the exercise yesterday, there's a huge amount of knowledge which you need to know as a senior manager or responding to cyber incident. And I'm I'm talking my expertise is not in the techie bit, my expertise in the crisis management. So, you know, sort of not a lot of people know that you want to do your threat intelligence is one of your really important because if you've been um, cyber attacked by Hive or Lockbit or Revil or some of these organizations, I think Hive and Revil are not on the go at the moment, but if you've been attacked by then, then you actually need to say, well, actually, I know who these people are. They have a people, we, we know who they are. They have a modus operandi. They have ways of working. So I need to understand that. And that will help inform your help inform your crisis team to say, actually, this is a straight ransomware attack to actually this is a hacktivist group. Also, what you need to know is to say the techies can put the, the the malware into a sandbox and then tell you what the software is. That will maybe give you an indication who's done it. Is it a nation state after you? Very different complex if a nation state is after you than actually if a, if a, if a hacktivist is after you. What are they after? So... Within the scenario, you can have quite a focused exercise. This is what we did um, yesterday about actually the exercise is about the group understanding the the nuances of the scenario. So that is, you know, you can have very focused on the cyber bit, or you can have, say, actually what we're doing is we're introducing people to the plan. So I have a very simple scenario. Your, your head office just burned down. And we're not really focusing on the scenario. It's about that's just a focus of what we're going to do, but we're going to focus on other elements there. So the next thing is about the plans and procedures. So do your plans work? Does it have the right things about in it? Um, can, is it workable? Does the information right there, if you've got forms in your plans, you know, how often do you, you have all these reams of forms you're meant to fill in, so how often do you actually practice an exercise doing them and get them to fill them in? You know, so if they don't fill them in exercise, they're going to fill them in real life. They're just going to or, even, or even people knowing that they exist. Or people knowing they exist. And, you know, the, the point <clears> is, if you say it's familiarizing people in the plan, there's no point doing a format of an exercise where they chuck the plan in the corner and make it up as they go along. So if if that's really important as your objective, because these new the new people to plan, you've got a new plan, you're actually much better sitting down and saying, right, building's burned down. Let's turn to page one. What does page one do? Go through that checklist. Go through that evaluation of the incident. 
that's maybe a bit boring for them, but actually that is what they need to do. So mm. there's the plans that there's the plans and procedures there. The next thing is about incident management skills. I do think there are some particular skills you need to have that are particular, well, not particular to managing incidents, but things like decision-making, decision-making under pressure. Senior managers don't like that, on the whole, don't like that. They're used to, oh, um, we've got to make a decision here. Write me a paper. Alex, write me a paper on this. Don't really like your paper. Write me another paper because that paper <laughs> wasn't quite right. You know, and they'll do that, and they'll send it around lots of people, and they'll get lots of explanations and work out the budget and, you know, takes three weeks, three months, six months, a year to make a decision where actually, no, you're going to make a decision in the next 10 minutes. Are you going to pull your plug in your cyber system to take all your systems down or you're not? And the only way we'll ever know whether it's right or wrong is hindsight. Yeah. So when it comes to decision making, sometimes it takes so long that people will just go ahead and do what they need to do based on what they know. They won't yeah. wait for that decision because they know they don't have time to to go through yeah. that, you know, various levels and all that other stuff. So, you know, people have to be prepared. Like you said, you got to yeah. know how to make, you know, decisions have to be made in, um, I think you said 10 minutes and maybe even yeah. less. Yeah. And if your systems are, if your domino system is falling over, then you need to go and say, well, look, sometimes the IT guy will say, well, I'll pull the plug, pull the plug 10 minutes. I didn't wait for your decision. And then the senior managers need to say, actually, are we happy for this guy to do that? Or are we not happy to do that? You know, and then we need to have another process or we need to have a, a protocol or we need to say, no, actually, it always must come to us, but then you need to have a process to, to do it quickly. Then there's things like logging. There's things like um, situational awareness, information management, which are all key processes which help the good manage the incident. So we might have to have some we might have to have an objective round about that. So so say, you know, typically you might do, we'll do a half day's training, three weeks later, we'll do the exercising. Well, as part of my exercise, I want to kind of build in the elements of decision-making. So I want to build in a, whatever the scenario is, I want to build in the decision that they have to make. And so I can check that if I've taught them how to make decisions, I want to do that. Or if they, um, if they have administration people who support the team, I want them to, at the end of the exercise, to read back all the actions to check that everyone knows what they're doing. So I want to actually, that's a key bit, and I need to configure the exercise so that that does, and they get an opportunity to practice that. And then last for me, there is within the objectives is leadership and team working. So you know do i want to do want to, maybe it's an early early team and to say actually there's 15 in the team and i know fine well that's far too large but they put 50 in the team that's the way so do i want to configure the exercise in such a way that or get feedback in such a way to say at the end look was was that too many and they go yeah 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 charlie yeah we should listen to you or that was i think you know we should uh, it, it, you know we we far too many people. We didn't make a decision. It was chaos. Next exercise or next plan, we all have seven right. So there's that sort of leadership and team ranking. So I think you had to have a really good discussion with whoever sponsor it or your or your client there, and go through these things and decide what are what are we trying to achieve by this. 
And then out of that will come the, you know, maybe they have a determined, maybe we've been told we need to do a cyber exercise. Fine, that's fine. But if you're not doing a, a, if you're not being told the scenario, then you have to kind of think a little bit of what are we trying to achieve? And then how would, what scenario would suit that? You know, sometimes you do want to make a point to say, actually, you know, you've you've always been saying that this is no problem. I know this is a problem, so I'm going to flood the data center because I know it sits on a floodplain. All right, yeah, yeah, we've ignored that. So you can make sometimes a point with scenarios. But in the whole, the scenario is roundabout trying to drive the exercise. And the last thing I just want to say, on our, well, say some more about objectives is um, – Often people have aims and objectives, and I've never met a person who writing aims and objectives and never work out what is the difference between the name and an objective. So what I normally do is teaching is to say, actually, let's have purpose. So the purpose is why we are running the exercise. So it might be our we, you know, requirement to run an annual exercise, or maybe it's a regulatory requirement, or maybe the, the, it's an audit or whatever reason. So I think it's a good in part of your exercise instructions saying purpose why are we doing this because again if you've got a purpose running the exercise there may be some requirements come out of that so i i'm sure your some of your, uh, your listeners will be with familiar operational resilience and that's a, a uk thing out the bank of england for financial institutions so it has an exercise element but it has a very you need to decide upon upon your um uh, the services you deliver you have to actually demonstrate that you can meet them under this scenario circumstancing and it needs to be an extreme but plausible scenario which is quite sort of more stage left the more some of the scenarios that, that that we do so there might be some very definite requirements which you need to build into your exercise so that's some, some thoughts on sort of writing objectives and um or determine the objectives first. Well, believe it or not, you did answer a lot of questions I was going to ask. Yeah. This ends my first segment talk with Charlie McLean Bristol. Uh, we talked a lot longer than what we had planned on. So uh, join us in a few moments for segment two. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Small businesses are in trouble, and it didn't just start with COVID-19. From the recession several years ago to the revolution of e-commerce giants more recently, small businesses are getting hit hard and need to come back. Tune in to Business Buzz and Business Watch. It's two shows in one, hosted by Frank Hellring. We'll help your small business bounce back with best practices, guest experts, and resources that you can use to strengthen your small business. Listen Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific and 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Today we live in a truly global environment. Business can more easily be conducted now in almost any part of the world. How do you, as a business owner or professional, navigate the ever-changing business landscape? Tune in to Leadership Beyond Borders with host Kimberly J. Lewis. With a worldwide resource of guests, you'll find out what opportunities and challenges surround diverse and virtual organizations. Listen live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. From the boardroom to you. 
Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And this is segment two of my talk with Charlie McLean Bristol. Enjoy. If we run an exercise and we have our set objectives, uh, one, should we change them for the next exercise? And two, how do we measure if we even met them? See, that's a good point. And sometimes I think if you do this really well and really properly, then what you should do is you should write your objective and say, and it should, and it needs to be smart then in some way. And then you need to actually say, how do I know when I've achieved that? And also, who's going to determine that? And what are the criteria I'm going to use for determining that? So you you could uh, you could do to say actually um, one of my objectives is to review the whole of the plan. Now that's not quite smart. So I'm, but you know that's getting a bit of it. And then you might to review the plan and make sure it's fit for purpose. You might have the the objective to say actually what what we are going to do is to make sure that that we cover all elements of the plan and discuss all elements of the plan. And then, you know, you're you're a way of saying whether we achieved it, did we cover all elements of the plan and did we get three new learning points from the plan? It's a little bit contrived that some of the ones are quite difficult to, sometimes it's quite difficult to do smart objectives. And I think sometimes, you know, I can put my hands up and say, can be kind of sometimes a little bit lazy about, really tying down those smart objectives and sometimes how much value does it add you know we've got something round about the scenario so if i smarten that objective is it going to really add a lot of value or i pretty much know we want to do something around flooding because we're susceptible to flooding or supply chain and so we're going to be something about supply chain but do we need to have a smart smart objective there so I think I think about you can you can do the the point about um changing our objectives. Again, the the business continuity institute, the GPG, is busy saying you should have an exercise program. And when I was in the army, you know, you'd never went straight to a battalion attack, um, because it would be chaos because no one know what they're doing. What you need to do is you need to do what's called Piers Fire Maneuver, two of you going up there, then a section, and then a platoon, and then a company, and then you end up battalion attack, and you spend three weeks or a month actually practicing all that thing, and you work up to the big attack. And then by the knowing that, you know, it'll probably their attacks like all things like business gods you need to go 100 percent, but you know you'll get a general team that it is so i think you should never go straight for let's do all the big big singing all dancing exercise 
because I don't think you'll get val that expensive, the time consuming. I don't think you'll get value as the first one. And that's why I think you need to, I like to sort of propose a three year program where you do something maybe sort of quite sort of basic the first year, something a bit more complex, second year, more desktop, more discussiony or very discussiony first year, more kind of um, further with a scenario, but some set pieces. And then go for the all sing and all dance in three years and then come back again. And I think for each of those, that is a very different set of objectives. Because the third one may be more scenario based, where the first one may be more about the plans, the procedures. Mm -hmm. what, how do you go about um, communicating the fact that maybe you didn't meet your objectives for whatever reason without? demoralizing people or turning around saying all oh, you people were just awful you know yeah you didn't do what you needed to do you know, how do you keep people focused say hey we didn't meet that objective but we got a learning from it we got a plan to move forward how do you kind of turn a negative yeah to a it it is a difficult one it is a little bit difficult there and it can expect well it can be especially difficult as a consultant and maybe maybe internally as well, because you're being paid hopefully a reasonable sum of money to give them experience and learn experience, and it all disintegrates. It might nothing to do with your exercise. It may be to do with their response. And if you don't watch, it comes back on you because, well, let's blame the consultant for giving his crap exercise. <laughs> and, and let's not invite him back ne next time. So I... I I think there's a couple of things here. I think, first of all, I would always say when I write a post-exercise report, you're going to have 10. I do recommend those observations, recommend those. So you'll have 10 areas of improvement. I think areas of improvement need to be things which are things that you can take away and do. There was too many people in the team. The um, This telephone number wasn't there. Um, so it's all areas which you can actually go away and do something as a physical thing. You need to include this in the plan. That number was wrong, whatever it is. I don't think an observation recommendation, you see the team wasn't very good or they didn't when they work very well together because it's difficult then to quantify that. And how can you get, how can you sort of say, well, we can do it better next time. We can do some training. So I think you can say, actually, you know, the team would, the team, their 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 skills were really low. They didn't log. They didn't do action. So then you can say, right, they need to. You know, this is good practice. This management, you need to go and get some training. So I think I think you know your observation recommendation needs to be things that you can physically go off and do deliverables as opposed to sort of concepts. What we do then is within the. You know, you always have to be positive. And so we tend to write what I call as a director's comment. When you do a bit of a rah-rah and you said, look, the team worked well together. They did this. They did that. And you try and positive it as far as you can at the end of the, end of the instance. So that is your opportunity to maybe talk about some of the more softer things rather than, mm -hmm. than the better but you know there's always that danger of the consultant when say you write a really positive report they have a really bad incident the next week they go back to the report and said you said our team was really good 
they did this incident they were really rubbish well you know were you lying because you want to get the next bit of work or you want to get the contract or so there's always a danger with the consultancy now one of the other things we do which one of the things i did a while back was we did an organ we did some instant management training for an organization we did an exercise well then they were fine good ish you know 10, 10, 10, 10 observations, recommendations, or you get nice instant, uh, nice report. When we did the exercise the next year, they got worse. They were obviously got worse. And it's difficult to kind of compare. How do you say we got worse? Well, you know, how did we get worse? Show us how you got worse. And you kind of run slightly into this little bit of she, she said, he said. So one of the things I... I invented what we call our instant team performance assessment. And the idea here is we have a quanti a quantitative assessment of the team. So what we did is went off and did a lot of work on what does good instant teamwork look like. So there's lots of stuff on teamwork, you know, the Google team is the ultimate team. So, you know, they've done Google's done lots of stuff on that. But there's lots of kind of instant management. If you go two, two, three, six, one, the crisis management center, the GPG, all the books we were talking about earlier, they're all stuff with sort of useful things you ought to do in instant. So you need to take those. We took those out and distilled them down to and what we what we wanted to do was be able to do an assessment of the team. Now, as soon as you say the word assessment, it has a whole load of implications. Mm -hmm. Some public sector won't touch it with the barge pole. We can't use the word. Some people say we'd like you to do this assessment, but we don't want people to see it. We don't really want them to know that you're doing it, which I don't really like, but you can do that. Some people say we're quite happy to happy to be assessed. But what we did is we divided it into two two bits. So we did an individual self-assessment. So every member of the team got um, a two-sided page, and it had, um, I think it had eight questions, and they were around about the team. So he said, did you, did you feel that the team was the right side? Did you feel that you were, you were listened to? Did you feel you had a task? Um, did you feel that there, there was a good team leader? And we also then did a plan, plan assessment similar. But what we did is with quantitative, so we didn't just say out of 10 or out of four, we said, in terms of the team leader, I felt the team leader was not very good. I felt the team was slightly good. I turned the team was reasonably good. I thought the team leader was excellent. So there is there was a text associated. So, you know, your three may be my four or somebody else's two. So we put some text around it. So when people were ticking that box, they could say, you know, they, it is a little bit of differentiation. So we did that for the individual, and then we had umpires, and we normally have at least one umpire from Plan B, and that's different to the guy running the exercise, because if you're running the exercise, you're running around trying to make sure this exercise works and everyone's happy. You don't have time to look at the team. So we have an exercise from Plan B or two sometimes, and then we'll take an umpire or two from your organization, because you can pick up stuff that we don't, gave them an umpire assessment sheet. And what we were looking there for instant management skills. So were they logging? Did they did action points? Did they take decisions? All that kind of stuff there. 
we got some comments around about communications, reputational management, because whatever, whether it's kind of operational, strategic, there is always an element of comms in there somewhere. Um, use of the plan, recovery, um, recovery management. So, you know, how well did they manage the incident? And also within that, we said, how much well did they actually understand the scenario and the response to the scenario? So you might have some predetermined responses. It might be a um, product recall plan. It might be a cyber plan. It might be a supply chain response plan. Or it might be just a building burning down. But do you have confidence somewhere about they know what to do in those circumstances? So we then crunch all the numbers there. And then we do a kind of, we can do a baseline and we can go and say, right, there's all your little graphs of these the strengths, there's the weaknesses. So we'll write some notes down, down there. And what you can do is baseline it. And you can also do a kind of like industry average. You can say like most people we see are a 3.5. You're a bit above it. But what the real benefit of that is running it for a number of years. So we can actually start to find organizations. One organization, I think we've done four now, and we can show continual improvement of different bits. Sometimes they slip down a bit, but it also gives them a focus of to say, actually, one of the things you didn't do bad is your knowledge of the plan. And then you can turn that around and then go and say, actually, as part of my recommendations, you got a, a two out of four on this one. So you might want to do some more training on the, mm -hmm. the plan. So that is a kind of more formal assessment, not for everybody. And you get numbers and not everyone likes numbers. They like a, maybe sometimes more exercise directors kind of bit like that. But, you know, it is another way of quantitative assessment of your exercise yeah the, the reason i asked the question is i had an experience years ago uh, a big it simulation exercise and um, there had been changes in the organization itself the um, parent company and everything and the it team found some big gaps big gaps that could not be addressed um, they couldn't move forward and IT, believe it or not, was all excited. They're going, so thank goodness we found this during a uh, a test and not during something real. Yeah. You know, so they were they were coming up with action plans, and yet on the other side, people were and executives were saying a huge failure. What what's going on down there? You know, what what's happening? And it was completely polarized the, yeah. the viewpoints, and it, it was really hard to understand. It's like. Did, they found issues and they're yeah. happy they found issues. How can you not see that as a success? Yes. You know. I, I think, yes. It, it may be sometimes in those circumstances a little bit about, you know, expectation. If the senior managers have an expectation or the organization produces an expectation, they're pretty good at this. And then you have the kind of where they're not good at it. Yeah. You know, you can have that. There was one extra little bit I would like to, to, to bring in there, which is round about this stuff. And this is some of the stuff I talked about uh, at the BCI, was exercises are about teams of people working together. And that team is working together to produce something, an output there. 
And I think one of the things that I'm sort of pushing, and people are beginning to get there. I haven't seen that many people doing it, but you never know when you say that. There's lots of people out there doing it. You just don't know about it. <laughs> but but it but it's a roundabout. Is actually in terms of people building a capability, and it's saying actually the people who make up my incident team, what skills and what do they require? And maybe what I want to do is even before I had an exercise and I was talking to um, a pharmaceutical company just just this morning and we've done so. So what we're doing is for them is we're doing a pre, a sort of capability assessment um, for their team members before they do an exercise so what they're doing is a little bit exploring where are these people at and the sort of the four the five areas that they're having a look at is and you need to determine what this is first so if you are a member of my incident team or the incident team what is the essential knowledge that you need to do so what do you need to do to do that job mm -hmm. What are the skills you need to have? So we said about decision-making, we said about logging, we said about um, information management. So what things do you need to be able to do to do this? Um, what level of competency? And when I talk about competencies, I always get the, I always forget the difference between capability and constant competency. And competency is about actually, I have the knowledge, have the skills. Can I do that under a circumstance so I can show that I am competent to do the, the role of instant team leader because I've done an exercise, I've demonstrated that I'm quite good at managing the team and doing all the right sort of stuff. So that's the competency, bringing that all together. What we also, they were having a look at is about experience. So what is the experience of the team? Because I'm finding more and more people that you're actually, when you send business continuity about five, six, seven years, people look at you blankly. Nowadays, a lot of people have done this in other organizations. So they say, oh, yeah, I did that last one. I did that to the last one. And we did a bit of that then. Actually, it was one of the coordinators or champions. So there is a kind of exposure of, of that. So what is the level of experience there? And also... It's a little bit knowledge, but it's also a knowledge of different scenarios. So do they understand their product recall plan? Do they understand their, their cyber response? Do they understand how they would deal with a major IT outage? You know, there is some essential knowledge to do that. So what we've done with some other clients is we actually send this question. We determine what that is first. We send out questionnaires to different teams and then even before the exercise we could start looking at the team and say look they're well experienced they've done it lots of times they've got pretty good knowledge and it's all a self-assessment you know let's get a bit let's get them into the exercise look this team's just really started all the old all the old people have left there we've got a new lot in there they're pretty low level there's not much point in sticking them straight into the the, the fire of an exercise because they're not going to do well and actually you know exercises take time effort and money you're actually much cheaper and get much better value if you actually do some training with them first it could be internal training not get the consultants into the fancy exercise do some internal training with them first 
and do some of the basics before we then do an exercise, and then we'll get much better value out of that exercise. So I think that looking at your capability and, and doing some of the assessments, and then you can actually do this again on a year basis, and we can see, right, team is pretty good. We won't do much training with them, but this team needs quite a lot of work. So put that out as a way of kind of um, pre-exercising and then making sure that, you know, when that exercise is sort of fit for purpose and is going to achieve something for time, effort, and money you spend on it. Well, we only have three minutes left. Yeah. Do you want to take a minute uh, and give any final thought? I think exercise is really important. I think people don't do it often enough. And I have written a book on this, so this is a plug. But um, I do think, think about short mm. exercises in between big exercises. You see executives, you might get them for half a day a year. But if you could do a, a couple of 45-minute exercises every three months, just there's a scenario, think about it in 45 minutes. What are you going to do? Boom. Educate them on the scenario. Get them thinking a little bit about response. And it keeps the brain cells going rather than, you know, so much goes on in a year that you forget about what you learned. So, so plug in the in between them short exercises whole book worth of them that can actually do that 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 bit so that's my sort of plea in between the two now i have a copy of your book but uh give it a plug yeah so book here look what the name is a business continuity exercises a short quick exercises to validate your plan it's available from bookshops um (laughs) from amazon have it i did yeah said before we started recording i didn't realize I had it until I noticed the cover and I went, I've got that. That's on my shelf. <laughs> and, and I think one of the other aims of the book was to be aimed at people who don't do, maybe do very many exercises, lots of easy exercises there for a starter for one. If you're not terribly confident, some really easy, simple exercise, speed exercising for one, which which you could do yourself, which can rate, you could do exercise your team without needing to have lots of specialist skills for done in the more sort of larger sophisticated exercises right and on that note we've come to the end of today's show charlie thanks so much for joining i i honestly thought we were going to talk for maybe 20 minutes 25 minutes at the most and we ended up doing a full show so this is great thank you so much for sharing your time and expertise i really appreciate it thanks so much for having me on and no problem maybe there'll be a, a second time in the future you never know yeah. <laughs> so thanks very much for joining and everybody watching and listening. Stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll see you here next week.